off airtime. Oh, I think we'll I think we'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't get drunk enough to tell us to just end the podcast in the middle of someone speaking, then you're good. That happened two or three episodes ago. <laughs> he's end like the podcast. He's end like, the turn podcast. it off, end the podcast. We're done here. <laughs> All right. Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Playoffs is right. Welcome back to Sports Intoxication. Uh, a little playoffs action there. Just I don't I don't know if that's like kind of to signify the celebration of the return of baseball and maybe the Reds returning to the playoffs or uh, I don't know maybe the Bengals are going to go to the playoffs or uh, that that might be a stretch. But sports intoxication is back and we're joined by a very special guest. Uh, we have Brian Chase with us as usual. Hey guys. And then we have from. Every side. I don't want to miss anything here, Rick. Uh, from Musketeer Report, from Channel Twelve, the Skinny Podcast, uh, NKU, Play by Play. Am I missing any? Internet, of your... as they say. What's that? From the internet, as they say. <laughs> Did I miss any jobs of yours? No. no yeah. I mean, other than you know, uh, taking out my uncle's trash on the weekends and uh, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Well, we're excited to have you. Um, and regarding the Skinny Podcast, I was—I know that are you the host of the Skinny Podcast? Because you kind of like. Yeah, I, that's a you know that's a really good question. I'm not really sure how you would term what we're doing there because it's like he intros and outros us, but then I ask all the questions. Yeah, you kind of um, run the show and like. Yeah, I I don't know I don't know exactly how you would phrase that. I guess we're uh, kind of co-hosting it or whatever. I, he's the expert, so you got to pose the questions to him and let him. He's the personality. He's the people. Want, he's the guy people want to hear from. So maybe maybe you need to talk to him and, and it becomes the Brinny podcast or the Scoring podcast or. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, they actually put my full name in the the title on Local Twelve. They always put the Skinny Podcast Talking Sports with Rick Broering, which I was always surprised by. That I was like, oh, that my name is in the the headline on, on Channel Twelve. It makes me very Googleable. <laughs> that's well. That's good. I mean, I, I that's a good point yeah. out because I didn't realize that that was there. So I need to pay more attention. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna jump right into it. Being a, a primarily, a, we we podcast more during Xavier season for sure, um, and we're big X fans. We when we started doing this podcast, we always said we needed to get someone to join the podcast that knew the Bearcats, and we still haven't gotten around to that. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's how that works in this city, though, right? I think, like, everyone just stays on their side. It's like echo chambers. They don't want to hear from the other side of the aisle too much <laughs> that's, from what my experience has been. I, I would say between the three of us, if you added all the minutes together that we watch of UC basketball, because we like to, you know, scout the opponent, and uh, but it's probably less than 10 games total. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, go ahead, Brent. I was going to say, I am looking forward to getting back to Xavier, back to Cintas, and then we can all convene in Sox's basement again, because we're not really up to speed when we start the podcast on Zoom, because we haven't had like 10 beers previous to getting on the podcast, so excuse us for the next 30 minutes while we get going, and and then by the end we'll be good. (laughs) Bourbon number two for me. 
What is everybody What's drinking that? tonight? Oh, I'm a, I'm a big Long Island iced tea guy right now. I just uh, got on this kick like two weeks ago, and I've been obsessed for, for like two straight weeks now. So. L-I-T's in the L-A-T? Better believe it. That's right. <laughs> uh, I'm starting with uh, Budweiser, and then I've got a Psychopathy to sip on, and Ooh. I've also got uh, Bullet Rye. Excellent. You got... So I'm mixing and matching right now. Seriously, you got options. Yeah. Um... Well, excellent. And I know you're a big sour guy, Rick. Uh, I'm also a big sour guy when it comes to the local breweries, for sure. Yeah, I've got a um, summer trip from Braxton right now in the fridge. Uh, that's kind of our go-to. Um, and then also uh, something from Urban Artifact. I'm drawing a blank on the name, uh, but it's a golden. That's a tart, so good stuff. Um, I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, they it's make... got a big like Norse guy. It's it's got like it looks like the NKU logo on, yeah. on it, but I yeah. can't, I'm drawing a blank on what it is. Um, well, we're gonna we'll ask you a couple Xavier questions. Um, you being the the owner of MusketeerReport.com and uh, the host of the Dana and Victory podcast, which is my favorite podcast because uh, wildly entertaining and also informative for all the behind the scenes and recruiting stuff and all the great work that you guys do. Um, so I know Brian has a couple questions too, but I figure we'll kick it off. Uh, let's start out hot. Greater NBA career when it's all said and done, Obi Toppin or David West? Oh, uh, I'm going to go David West be just because it, it's the known. I mean, sure. Obi Toppin could like I, I think he he has a chance to have a solid career, but it's not like uh, it, it's not like he's going to be the same type of player at, at the NBA level that he was in college. I mean, he's not going to be physically dominant in the NBA the way he was in college, and that's a huge part of his game. So um, catching oops is great, but you got to be able to do more than that in the NBA, and I think he can. But I'm, I'm David West stuck around for a long time, made a lot of money, uh, won a couple rings, so I, I'll go with him. 15-year 15, 15 NBA career, and he was like the 18th pick, which, like, Obi's going to probably go top 10. Yeah. The thing about Obi Toppin, though, I mean, not that I watched a lot of Dayton this year, but I did, I watched, like, the Dayton VCU game, like, the whole game, and the one thing that amazed me is I had heard, you know, you always hear about how good Obi Toppin is, and it was like, I felt like he didn't do anything outside of five feet, whereas West, by the time he was getting to the NBA, he had you know, that 18, 20 foot jumper that he can rely on. So I'm interested to see how Toppin develops in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he shot a decent percentage from three this past year. Um, he was close to 40%, I know, but he was making like one a game. So, okay. you know, I mean, and that's, that's something that's better than nothing, but it's not like he is a, uh, a bona fide shooter from the outside or anything. So that's certainly part of his game that he's going to have to develop. I had to sneak that one in there because Matt, who's usually with us, hates Dayton uh, so you know <laughs> fair enough well I mean I don't know if, how much of our stuff you've heard but I'm not a big fan of the city in general so, um, <laughs> particularly their little brothers <laughs> in Fairborn so. <laughs> yeah uh, I did I forgot about that but yes have um, they defunded that school yet <laughs> they were close a year ago I figured with the pandemic it might be defunded by now I don't know 
We'll have to check up. Someone look up Wright State on Google. It'll be the first time they've been Googled since March. <laughs> there you go. Now, let's, now, if I do it, let's see if, uh, like, the skinny podcast that comes up, Wright State, Rick Broaring. <laughs> Death threats. <laughs> um, so, two years ago, the, the famous junior class, this year's junior class at X, uh, which is now empty, Obviously, there was transition happening at X with Mac and Steele, um, but something that I think is super interesting, there were three guys that X was in on until the absolute end um, that are either playing professionally or um, going to be in this year's draft. Sadiq Bey, Taylor Horton Tucker, and Ayo Desunmu. Um, those three guys, did you see any of the career arc that I mean I I don't remember when when THT was being talked about so much on the X board between Iowa State um, and X and there might have been another school or two in the mix but I don't remember thinking of him as a one and done guy um, yeah um, I, I think the I, I don't look at and to be honest with you like with both AO um, and um, Taylor and Horton Tucker like they definitely had a chance if those guys had they pushed earlier but uh, I don't think they're ever going to get IO and tail in. It was a weird recruitment. I, I kind of think, to a certain extent, Mac might have made the right call there, kind of waiting and passing on him because I think he's a guy that was going to be hard to win with. And I think that was kind of the feeling on him that he was super talented, a bucket getter that would no doubt be able to score at the high major level, but that he might not really have your team's best interest. Um, at heart, and I think that kind of played out. He got himself to the NBA in one year, but you know, how much did he really help his team win games? Sure, um, it's it just like it struck me because you don't ninety percent of the guys that that X is recruiting, or ninety five percent really, aren't really thought about in the terms of when this guy gets on campus. Are we going to be able to keep him here for more than a year because of the NBA? Uh, obviously, transfers happen, but um, and I think. Sadiq Bey's meteoric rise has been something to to behold. A guy that was really, um, I don't know if under-recruited is the right word, but he he was a last-minute kind of decision, and he was kind of back and forth, and obviously ended up in a great fit at Villanova. Yeah, he was kind of a late bloomer. I, they knew he was good, but not obviously this good. Villanova didn't know he was this good um, when they took him. But everyone really liked him by the time he was kind of in that summer um, before his, his senior year uh, when he ended up committing to Villanova. You know, the, I, I, I don't know if you uh, how much you read at, around this time, but even more interesting to me is the guys like Aaron Henry at Michigan State, who I had commitment content written up for because my sources had said he had already committed to Xavier the same day that he pulled the trigger and then turned around and committed to Michigan State. Um, Travion Williams, mm-hmm. the big man who went to Purdue, same situation where I actually had two of the – I think those were the two first – two guys I've ever had the commitment stuff ready for, and they didn't commit. Um, I don't think that was, had ever happened before. I'm pretty pretty certain I hadn't, um, and it hasn't happened since. So, so the, the junior class at X right now is now known as the Broering Curse. Yeah, well, and, and it, I mean, look, looking back, I think there were some, to be honest, some mistakes made there where they thought maybe they could do better. And, and, and But like C.J. Frederick was a guy that wanted to go to Xavier, and they passed and passed and passed and really kind of just quit recruiting him to a certain extent. And so he went to Iowa instead and obviously was 
really, really good as a freshman despite getting injured. Um, there's one more we're drawing a blank on that wanted to commit. Uh, I can't think of it right now. I'll probably, it'll come to me in a few minutes. But there was another guy who really wanted to come to Xavier for months and months, and they just kind of slow played him. Um, and then he ended up committing elsewhere, who, who has turned it into a, a decent player already. So, yeah, they that class – as much as people want to pin it on Chris Mack quit recruiting because he knew he was going to Louisville and everything else, that really wasn't the case. In my opinion, there were really just kind of uh, maybe if you want to call them mistakes made, that that's fair. Uh, but they were trying to hit triples and home runs, and and they passed up on some doubles that ended up being really really good doubles. Yeah. So at that time, I mean, right now it sounds like the staff pretty much it works very interchangeably at that time was it kind of like you know Steele and the other assistants are going out and doing their thing and then Mac makes the final call and people were pushing for these guys and Mac just said no or um yeah to a to a certain extent and to be honest I'm not privy to all those conversations and it, it'd be out of turn for me to really give those away even if I knew them mm-hmm. but I, I would just say like Right now, I think what they do a lot more of is recruiting as an entire staff. Um, so, like, for instance, if uh, Dante Jackson is the lead recruiter on a guy, Jonas Hayes is going to call that guy, Ben Johnson is going to call that guy, Travis Steele is going to call that guy, everyone's going to touch base with them so he knows everyone when he gets to campus. Now, that sounds great, and it's like, well, sure, doesn't everyone do that? It's good in theory. It's really, really hard to do a practice, and you have to be – really really organized you can annoy kids doing it that way um you can slip up and say the wrong thing if you're on kind of playing a couple different uh uh games there with in terms of you know using one kid for leverage or something like that you got to be really careful when you do that that was something they do or that's something they do now that they didn't really do as much back then um i would say they're similar in the fact that the head coach will always get the final call and you have your assistants they have their own lead recruits um, but I think just as an entire staff, some of that was Chris Mack making the final call. But in some cases, it was the assistants, too, that that agreed with it and thought, yeah, you know, I think we can get this four or five star guy that they just didn't end up getting. That kind of leads into slash partly answers um, my next question, which was going to be, which I think a bunch of the names that you just mentioned are probably on this list. But during your time covering X, who was the biggest miss in recruiting as far as somebody that they were close to getting to come on campus and then eventually just kind of slipped away at the end? Man, that's a good question. I mean, since I've been doing it, that's a really good question. I think all time, most people would probably tell you Kyle Lowry um, was was probably the one or, um, or uh, the big kid from Butler. Um, yeah, um big white kid i'm drawing a blank matt um howard matt howard Howard, thank you yeah matt howard was uh pretty close to committing according to chris mack so i think all time those are probably the two biggest ones since i've been doing it oh man um well i mean Devontae smith rivera is probably maybe the most famous one where uh you know i think that was a guy that i still don't know how he didn't end up coming to xavier because they were like six different times that he was committed to Xavier, essentially, whether it was public or not. And he ended up having a really good career, obviously, at, at Georgetown. Xavier was better than Georgetown through those years, but um, he would have been a really nice piece. But, you know, as it, it may have played out differently, and Xavier might not have gotten other guys that were really good at that time. So, um, 
yeah, I guess I'm drawing a blank on if there's any better names than that, but that's probably the one that most people know about. That's a good one. And the student section never forgot that. No, not at all. I mean, <laughs> neither has the message board. It still gets brought up. So. <laughs> that's true. Um, who is your, since you've been on the beat, who is the biggest surprise as far as development during their time at Xavier for you? Like yeah, a guy that came in freshman year and you were just like, this. I don't ever see how this guy's going to see the floor. And then. Yeah, I, I think um, James Farr is probably one of the, the biggest in terms of after I had already seen him. Now, like when they recruited him, I was like, okay, he's got a chance. You know, he's 6'9, there's skill there and he can shoot. And when he first got to campus, he was shooting a lot more, like as a three point guy. And he kind of was like, oh, maybe he'll be effective as an inside out. As it turned out, he wasn't a good enough three-point shooter to do that for the rest of his career, especially as he continued to bulk up and get really big and strong. But as it turned out, like midway through his junior year, he just decided, "I'm just going to decide. I'm just going to make my role to get every rebound possible." And once he committed himself to that, it's like everything else within his game fell into place. I mean, he got much better offensively. He was finishing much better. Um, he became more crafty out of nowhere on offense because he had confidence and defensively he was, he was better too. So um, that was one of the guys. Cause like, I remember there were so many times where he just played so straight up and got knocked off his spot so often and had didn't understand how to play with leverage or get low. He had really high hips and was just stiff as an athlete. And I was like, I mean, he's never, he's never going to get this or figure out he'd get thrown out of the lane in every box out drill they did for two years. And um, I think multiple times he thought he was transferring. The staff thought he was transferring and I'd constantly hear that. So I never expected him to have uh, uh, the success that he did. It's funny you say that because when socks, when you asked that question, I was like, the guy that comes to mind for me is James Farr. And the running joke, at least with like Bauman and Bessler socks is, we nicknamed James Farr gift card. We referred to him as gift card because halfway through his junior year, we all said, we just want James Farr off the team. We'll trade him for a $5 Skyline gift card. Just get him off the team. He's, he's a black hole out there. And then his last year and a half, he was, he might've been the best. He was one of the best players on the team. It was incredible. He was a guy that when you think of what he did down the stretch that year. Oh my, I know. Yeah. He was a guy that I, yeah, that senior year, the whole senior year, he was so – I think he was a fan favorite because of that development. That's a great answer um, because I, I do remember his freshman year. He was just hanging out on the perimeter. His yeah. sophomore year, he was doing that. Yeah. Yeah, and, I mean, if you would have seen it in practice, it looked even worse. Like, I think – I remember some fans that were like, hey, this guy's – you know, he can shoot it a little bit. Why isn't he playing more? And I'm like, like, you should see one rebound drill in practice. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> It is incredible, though. I remember the game that I remember most about him, though, is that game when they were at Providence and they just played that one through one, and it felt like well, Providence couldn't hit a shot. Yeah, with life. Chris Dunn. Yeah, yeah. But they, it was like Farr and Reynolds were just literally collecting every single rebound. Providence didn't even have a chance. Yeah, I mean they they came up with that one three one defense specifically for Providence. And it was kind of a unique way of playing a 1-3-1. They weren't out trying to trap in the corners and get steals. They were kind of playing for the next pass and just sort of throw you out of rhythm and take away the driving lanes for Chris Dunn. And, man, did it work so well against that Chris Dunn team. Um, but then they ended up using it a bunch the rest of that, that year and, and for a year or two after that as well. Yeah, that was a fun defense to watch, especially with JP at the top. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was, he was uh, the perfect – 
instigator to play the top of that defense without a doubt. So okay, so I, I know Brian has a couple questions. My last question is going to be: So you've been on the pod, on the sports intoxication podcast for roughly twenty minutes. You're a big J journalist. We are are very very far from that. We're more uh, drunks and fans, uh, and would never use the word journalism at all to describe ourselves. But how do we go about getting credentialed for a Xavier game? Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I well honestly I I don't know like what the actual like metrics or process that Tom Iser has for him. I know that's the guy you contact. I mean, you just contact Tom Iser, um, and it's I don't know if there's like a, a board that views those things or it's just him saying yes or no. And I don't know if there's like a certain amount of views you have to have or, or whatever <laughs> his process is. I, I really don't know. Um, just because you know I I took over the site. Brian Snow was already credentialed at the time. I took it over from Brian, so we were just already in that position. So it wasn't like something I had to really go through. Uh, but if, yeah, that's that's the guy. If there's a review board, we are screwed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you what, I don't know if you want to be on the inside. Sometimes it's more fun on the outside. You know, you're not. You can say what you want. Well, Very are true. You to drink on the inside. No, that, that's the other. Bitch. Oh, yeah. well, socks. We're staying put <laughs> then. Unless DePaul's <laughs> in town. Sometimes I go up to the bar at halftime for DePaul. <laughs> Well, that's all I got. Brian, what 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 do you have over there? Okay, I don't have any serious questions, so my questions are more uh, fun-spirited, fun I should say. Um, so we, Sox and I, and, and Besser, the other guy that's on here, we have a lot of uh, fun, intoxicated memories around Xavier games. So my question was going to be, what's your favorite... Uh, drunk memory as a sports fan that could be Xavier related or it could be NKU related or whatever uh, <laughs> and if you don't have a good one I'm sure I, I've got a couple that that are my favorites uh, for of mine or of yours <laughs> no of mine oh, I, was say, I was like I, I didn't know my uh, my reputation preceded me your, your exploits were that public we haven't made it that far yet now maybe after you know now that you've been on sports and talks maybe we'll have one together I don't know yeah you know what I, I'll just go ahead and, and tell you the story because there are actually Xavier fans involved in it uh Brian Snow had told me to meet him uh, for a Bengals primetime game. Him, him and his brother had uh, season tickets. His brother is responsible, has a real job, couldn't work, stay out late at night. So I got I got the tickets that night. So I showed up, and I can't remember why, but I had gone out for like a happy hour situation before I met him to tailgate. I also hadn't eaten anything all day, which is like one of those things where obviously I eat well normally, but I had just forgotten. I was busy. I forgot, and I am terrible at drinking if I haven't eaten beforehand. Now, if I eat anything, I'm fine. Like, my tolerance is totally fine, but if I don't eat anything, it's not great. So, before the... And it's mainly a stomach upset issue than it is a drunk issue, Mm. and so that's the issue. So, I get there, I've already drank a lot of bourbon, I start pounding beers, and immediately I'm just like, my stomach's done. So, people are seeing me vomit in the (laughs) middle of the tailgating parking lot at Paul Brown Stadium before the game, and they're like, this dude's gonna be passed out, and I'm like, no, I'm not not even that drunk. Like, I, I just can't have this much alcohol in my stomach, and that's it. And so I'm puking. They're like, he's going to be dead. So we go in. I stick out the whole game. It's great. There's other things that happen during the game that I probably shouldn't bring up in 2020. Uh, but then after the game, I lose track of snow in a blink of an eye. Like, I'm talking to one person as we're walking on the same, lose track of him. So now I'm done. Like, I don't have anything. Well, my phone died. So now I don't even have an Uber. So now I'm just stumbling around the banks, essentially, looking for snow. And then randomly, a group of Xavier fans had bought a pizza 
and we're like parked right at one of those like sort of uh, patio tables and we're like hey rick brewing come here you want a slice of pizza and i was like yeah and then they uh got me an uber home too so <laughs> it was they paid for it and everything uh, shout out to the, the xavier guys musketeer nation coming up big yeah yeah that was the night i really needed xavier nation to come through and they did <laughs> that's outstanding I'm, I'm not sure how that would have ended <laughs> that's outstanding it would have been it sounds like it would have been a very long walk well here's the problem I'm not like the type of person who's like the alarms go off in their head at that point where it's like I don't have a way to get home now I'm like let's wait till the bars close and then we'll figure this out <laughs> by that time it's a little too late <laughs> I could relate to that well, I think we're probably all of the same mindset in, in that matter unfortunately for better or for worse yeah I don't know that that's a good thing but it is what it is Socks, I was going to say, I think, so I've got, it's hard for me to pick my favorite because I've got two. The The first one I'll say that um, <laughs> turned into a bit of a tragedy, actually. Uh, the the first year, or the second year in the Big East, maybe, when McDermott was the senior at Creighton and Xavier beat them at Centos. So we had been out drinking before the game, all during the game, after the game, at that time, I was in 201, and my dad was in 103. And I saw him at, up, like, behind uh, Joseph Club right after the game. And I was like, all right, I'm going in for the chest bump. Which, at the time, I was, like, 25, and he's, like, 60. So it's like, this is a bad idea. It's not ideal. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but he had had enough that he was, like, ready to do it, too. So he chest bumped. Well, he fell back because I was significantly heavier than, than I am now and uh, ended up breaking both of his wrists, had surgery on both of his wrists to repair his his uh, bones. So that was that was a rough ending, but it was fun while it lasted for me. Shout out to Paul Chase. <laughs> the other one sucks, though, is uh, Big East Tournament. The, it's the first year, right? Yeah, the first year. So we went up there and we went... Uh, Thursday night, I guess, the Marquette game. And not going to lie, I don't really remember much of that game. But then the next night against Creighton, we were doing the same thing, but we decided that we were going to keep going out after. Well, we kept, we were bouncing from bar to bar, drinking, and by this point it's like four in the morning. And we're like trying to get home. <laughs> we're walking through Times Square and they say New York the city that never sleeps well there were like 50 people in Times Square so we were being idiots but we decided that we were just going to start doing the Dayton Flyers chant because we Dayton was also playing at the same time in Barclays yeah we went to yeah, Brooklyn so and saw, saw the little bit of the A-10 tournament that day we did so we're doing the Dayton Flyers cheer through Times Square at four in the morning. We finally get to the subway and and then realize because at this point we we need to get to Secaucus. We're staying in New Jersey. <laughs> There's the subway. The subway doesn't run after four a.m. It doesn't run until six thirty a.m. So we literally spent the next two and a half hours in the New York subway system, and it was awful. <laughs> Not a place you want to spend a lot of time. Not a good hangout. Uh, we had a, we had a, I was going to say, Socks, we had a guy with us that something was going to go down. We were, we were all right. <laughs> we yeah, it's not it's not really the the safety I'm worried about as much as it is the aesthetics and and comfort. You know, 
Yes. It wasn't very comfortable. Correct. Uh, the the other fun memory from that trip was the uh, our buddy that met us up there, your buddy that I met up there. Um, it was my first time ever to New York, and so I'm just wide-eyed and, you know, kid from the Midwest, and uh, people, we're trying to get tickets to the Thursday session, and there's all these scalpers outside of MSG, and this guy's like, their, their buddy's like talking to all of them, and, you know, they like, hey, what do you look for? Uh, 60 a ticket, and their buddy's like, fuck you, and I'm like, easy, dude, like, <laughs> I'm just afraid that something's gonna go down because it's the big city and this and that and their buddy's just telling everybody to go to hell if they won't give him the price he wants and so on and so forth which that was a that was a good also he's a six foot white guy with literally bright red hair so yeah. <laughs> it's that guy you want to be backing you up <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly and lots of street meat that weekend nice um yeah that was that was excellent Right. Um, uh, so should we should we talk Reds? Absolutely. Um, I've read a couple articles this week that uh, I've, I've read some differing viewpoints about the sixty game schedule and whether that's a benefit or a deterrent or a bad outcome for the Reds. Um, and I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Um, Rick, you being the uh, this is you can. Be the fan or the the journalist, however you want to kind of approach it. Uh, yeah, I, I, there's no journalism. One, there's really never any journalism with me, but there certainly <laughs> isn't when it comes to the Reds or or the Bengals. Um, I've, I've actually never covered the Reds. I've been in the, the Bengals uh, beat a few times just helping out. But um, with the Reds, I think this actually really helps them uh, for a couple reasons. One, the obvious being the DH. Uh, they just had a lineup where – it's not that it's overwhelmingly loaded. I mean, there's still some unproven guys, but they're just like you have three or four guys that you'd kind of all like to have in that lineup, and you don't know from night to night who's going to be the hot hand, um, and you'd probably like to be platooning multiple. So at least you can get one more in, whether it's Senzel or uh, it's Irvin or it's Aquino or whoever. You can play one more of those bats, and, and hopefully that gives you an idea of, of who's, who's kind of the hot hand at, at any given time. So I think that's a big deal. I also just think... Um, having the extra arms, some people will say, well, yeah, but you'd rather have the full schedule so you, you, you get to use all those arms a whole lot more. But, uh, one, these it's not like this is a proven dominant staff. I mean, the Reds were uh, 16 games out of first place last year. So, you know, I mean, like, they, they have some proving to do as it is. So I'll take my chances on a fluke season that, that these four or five guys that are decent, we think, can get hot over 60 games, then they're going to prove they're dominant over 162. Um, also, I think... The fact that you have the depth in the pitching rotation gives you great flexibility. And I think with a 60-game schedule, every game matters so much, uh, you might get creative. Maybe you're using multiple starters per game, maybe using a four-man rotation and and sending somebody uh, like Miley back into the pen to give you another quality arm for long relief. I think it gives you a lot of options there, and that's ultimately what what you want. Definitely. I like that. I completely agree on the DH. I think that really helps them. Um, I, I'm one of the people that was of the opinion, if you have Miley and DeSclefani as four and five, like you're at a, you should be at a significant advantage every fourth and fifth day. So I was looking forward to the 162, but I, I think your point about how they handle the pitching staff is a good one because if there's, I think if there's a team out there, at least last year, that uh, showed that the, the, 
they're open to a lot of different things. It's it's David Bell and and uh, Derek Johnson. So yep. I'm interested to see how it works out. The one thing that you can't have happen this year, though, is you have to you have to have Iglesias right from the get go because they're going to be pitching him in big spots like they did last year. And and if he comes out of the gate like he did last year, their season's done. They don't have a chance. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's another thing though. Uh, the you just remind me of Suarez, the injury situation. I mean, the fact that he's going to be basically healthy now, as opposed to starting the season slow, injured, maybe in a slump. I feel a lot better about him just getting to start feeling good and making a run for 60 games where he can kind of go all out and not worry about staying healthy for the duration of a long season. So I think there's a lot of reasons. Let me throw this out to you guys because I brought up on the Skinny Podcast. It's kind of a radical idea, but I like the idea, especially since they have a guy like Mally in the bullpen who is a guy they've considered as a starter at times. What if you go every third day and, and say, we're using two starters per game. We want you to throw three or four quality innings, get through the lineup one time, be dominant, and then you'll pitch again in a couple days. I, I know that and with a guy like Trevor Bauer, who's super into the science, maybe that's too radical and he'd, he'd like to stay more on his, his regiment um, on his off days. But I think it's it's something with all those arms they have and such a, a weird setup this year that you're throwing such minimal innings that I think they could make the short turnaround and you'd really get to use all those guys a lot and they're not being seen a second or third time through the lineup by, by most teams. I like that a lot. I think that's uh, that's creative, and we've all seen the numbers, batting averages, second time through the lineup, third time through the lineup. Like, I mean, it's just it's it's astronomical. So um, I would like that. And, and you could pair him. I know Bauer is a dude that's all about – he wants to pitch every fourth day. He wants to, you know, and – that, that's going to be part of his free agent decision, I think, uh, is a team that will let him kind of be a little bit creative next year. Um, so maybe you pair Miley and and uh, Mally or Mally, Mally and uh, and Miley or yeah, like or or Disco um, and and just let those guys. I think that's a great idea. I also don't mind the idea, especially in the short kind of funky season of using a starter um like you know starting with a bullpen one day and then just to kind of mix it up a little bit i think anything that you can do because every game is so important this year right it's gonna be so weird you know when your seasons when they're in it and you get to july august it just feels like every game there's so much pressure on it and it's gonna be like that from game one um so I, I like that idea. I think if you can get your best pitchers, you know, Sox, like you were saying, pitching two times through the lineup every second or third day, like their they're starters are their best pitchers. So let's let's do that. I, I, I'd be interested to see um, – I'm really interested to see how David Bell and Derek Johnson approach this 60-game season because I think they're going to be doing some crazy things that uh, – you know, the, the fans weren't necessarily expecting. Well, and I'm just kind of worried about, you know, with them having a shortened opportunity to prepare for this 60-game schedule and getting kind of thrown into it, I'm worried about everyone's going to say, okay, we got to protect the arms. So uh, this guy, his first two or three starts or four starts, he's only going four to six innings. Well, now you've taken – I mean, the guys are only going to make 12 starts if you're right. doing a five-man rotation. So it's like now you've taken a third of those out of, out of his – 
his season because you shortened his, his chances. I'd rather just say, okay, we're going to keep everyone on a short leash and we're just going to play the whole year like this. You all get four innings every time you go out there, be as dominant as you possibly can, and know you're going to have plenty of, uh, of recovery time because you're just not throwing that many pitches. Absolutely. And I think, like, I think the short season in the in the beginning of last year, the Reds bullpen was strong, and over the year, as they kind of got used a bit more, they kind of wore out a little bit. So a shorter season, in theory, strengthens the bullpen because those guys can stay fresh. And I totally agree that you're going to see games managed like it's September in a in a pennant race because that's yeah, basically it's be, how it's exactly, starting. It's going to be playoff baseball from the, from the second that they start, which is going to be really exciting. Yeah, and then the other nice thing is you're not going to run into that situation where there's a you know a team that's first place playing a team that's 25 games out of it doesn't care. I mean, basically up until the last two weeks of the season, the majority of the teams are still going to have a chance to make the postseason. Like they're they're all going to be jumbled up there in the standings more than likely. So um, I, I do think you'll have a lot of competitive games where everybody's trying to win and not just saying oh, heck, we got to get through this, so let's throw our, our middle reliever out there, our long guy, and just right. get through a couple of weeks. Yeah, so, exactly. Know, like you were saying, the, the DH rule is in place. Did they implement the rule that when you bring a pitcher in, they have to face at least three batters? Yeah, that, that's, yeah. that's a rule. They're also doing the uh, runner on second base to start the extra innings. Um, they're implementing that for this, which um, I know a lot of people have an issue with. I'm interested to see how it goes. I think it'll be an interesting change-up since we're already having a weird season as it is. Yeah, I, uh, I, that one is weird for me because I think that as, as, as far as baseball's gotten away from the bunt, now you bring the bunt right back in where yeah. that guy's on second base, there's no outs, you got to try to bunt him over probably. But we'll see because everybody hates the bunt, so we'll see what happens with that. Well, the the one thing I, I saw that was interesting is someone mentioned that uh, they're in the minor leagues. I don't know if they played or coached or whatever, but they said uh, what they've seen is almost everybody wants that guy over, and then they try to get him with a sack fly or maybe ground out or whatever. But it's kind of becomes like college football over time where, okay, you did it as the first team, but that's like kicking a field goal because now the next team knows that they start with a guy on second, they need two runs – they're swinging away. You put yourself at big risk if you settled for that one run. That's pretty um, interesting. So there's a little bit of strategy in that, which I'm like, okay, I can get into that. That kind of sounds like a, a DH strategy situation to me that everyone claims to love so much that are baseball purists. So uh, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to poo-poo that rule until we see it in action. That's fair. I like yeah. that. I, th- I think it'll make it a lot more exciting, and I think you'll hopefully – the. When I think of extra innings, the game that I always go back to, I was in college, and and this was when the Reds were good, and so it was, I think it was 2010 maybe, and they were playing in Philly, and it was like a Wednesday night, and they had a game that went 18 innings, and they had multiple opportunities to win it, and then they would give up the lead in the bottom of the inning, and then they finally lost it at like 4 in the morning, and I stayed up to watch the whole thing, and I was like, I am never doing this again. Yeah, I, re- I remember that game. Um, was there a rain delay to start it, too? Like, did it, did yes. it start it late, too, I think? <laughs> yes, it did. Yeah. And that, the, that was wild night. There was, I forget what the guy's name was, but it was a position player that pitched, like, the last two or three innings for the Phillies, and the Reds still had pitchers, but they couldn't get a hit off this guy, and then they finally lost. Gotta love... Position players pitching. Yeah. 
Uh, Wilson Valdez. Is who there it you was. go. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> Good work there. Yeah, I think that uh, I, one thing that I'm really excited for this year is Trevor Bauer needs to perform. Because and I like the guy. Like I, I love how outspoken he is. I love how open and honest he is. I love that he challenges the commissioner and all this stuff. But uh, it's time to pitch, dude. Like the Reds gave up a lot to get him, and now they're only going to get him for basically, like you said, about twelve starts. Hopefully, some more in the postseason. Um, and it's time to and and it's a contract year, so hopefully he pitches and pitches well. I'll tell you what, the amazing thing about him last year, watching him pitch, I, I I really can't remember another pitcher that I've seen that has as much break and snap on his breaking ball as he does. So I, it was amazing to me that he was getting crushed the way that he was because I'm looking at his ball and I'm like, how is anybody making contact with this? Yeah, I, I, I didn't know a lot about Trevor Bauer other than the stuff you've seen, the blow-ups, you know, him yelling at a teenager – teenage girl on Twitter, him throwing the ball over the center field wall when he got taken out of the game in Cleveland. So that I was kind of like, this guy must be a psycho or whatever. Since he's gotten to the Reds and he started putting out all this social media content, he's got his YouTube channel, and I've, I've paid attention to some of it just because I'm more interested in the business side of what he's doing. He's a fascinating guy. Absolutely. He loves baseball and works at it and thinks about it essentially nonstop. And I wonder if he gets into his own I, actually I don't wonder I, I can clearly see that he gets into his own head and overthinks things a little bit and uh, maybe takes them a little bit too seriously sometimes when he's out on the mound but uh, yeah you can't fault the guy for trying I mean there is no doubt about it that he puts every ounce of energy and thought he has into trying to get better but I'm with you he has such good stuff and he cares so much and works so hard at it why does he get hit the way he does at times and why does he just seem to lose whatever the it factor is that when he's going good he has pitching can be a weird thing but for him it shouldn't be because he has great stuff and it's so interesting to comment on the the fact that he's such an interesting personality like he's the only dude in baseball that has come out now he's he's gonna have to follow this up but he's the only dude in baseball ever that has said i want to sign one-year deals and he's a pitcher who could have have to have tommy john at any point like and i think that that says something about his competitiveness and his desire to win is that he doesn't want to sign a five-year deal and have four of those years be with a team that's not competing which i I, it's admirable so that's what makes me think that i mean hopefully the reds can make something of the 60 game season but the fact that that's his position makes me more optimistic than i would be that maybe they have a chance to re-sign him if if they've still got a lot of the pieces that are here right now. Like if um, what's Castellanos doesn't opt out after this year. Which, that's and, another thing that I think benefits the Reds of this short season and, and the, the money that MLB is going to lose. And I'm not commenting on the they're losing money, but the fact that there's not going to be fans in the stands means that they're not, they're not going to have as much money. And I think that next year in the free agency period, there won't be as much spending. And so Castellanos might be smart just to hold on to what he's been given by the Reds. Yeah, that's a good point. When's the labor agreement up? After next year. So theoretically we have labor peace and a base this season and then next season. And then we have all hell. Yeah, for sure. So, 
And that's what, you know, uh, Richard Skinner, who I do the Skinny Podcast with at Local12.com, brought this up uh, today when we were recording, actually, is is just that, that whole fact of, for the Reds, this 60-game this season could be kind of important, at least for the casual fan. I mean, you got a, a certainly a diehard group that's going to come back no matter what, but for that casual fan that likes to come to the ballpark a couple times a year when things are going well, if they have to tune out because you're bad for the first three weeks of this 60-game season, they've now been tuned out for a couple years in a row. You go into next year, who knows what happens. Trevor Bauer doesn't re-sign. Castellanos opts out. Now all of a sudden you got another bad year, and oh, wait, you got another lockout because of negotiations? I'm like, you could be in a bad spot if you're the Reds in terms of making money. And, and again, I know a lot of people will say it doesn't matter. I'm always going to be a Reds fan. But I think for a lot of the people that just like to go down to the banks and have a few beers and, and go to the game three to ten times a year, I think a lot of those people are, are maybe going to uh, be spending their dollars elsewhere if the Reds aren't competitive for either this 60-game season or next. Exactly. I mean, I, I'm one of those people. I'm, I'm always going to be a Reds fan, but when they're bad, I tune them out in middle I do of July. I if, do if they're anywhere close to in the race, then I'm literally watching every game. I'm going to games. So it's just – in the city, is just so much different when they are good. Like the the, I I don't know what you guys think, but I thought the period between 2010 to 2013 when you had um, the Reds were good, the Bengals were good, UC football was good. Like just those summers and falls were so fun because everybody was so excited about all of those teams. There was just a buzz in the city that there hasn't really been the last four or five years. Chiburomania. Well, well it sucks. Well, that's the other part of it, too. Skinny brought that up. He's like, what happens if Joe Burrow's really good and the, the Bengals are kind of rolling again all of a sudden for the next couple of weeks? Like, the Reds could really have some issues here in terms of their place in the market. Absolutely. I think those are – I'm a diehard. So, like, when they're – and I'm not, like, quote-unquote proud of this, but, like, it just is, is what I am as far as a baseball fan. When they're 20 games out in August – I'm still watching because I want to see what they have going forward. And I'm an eternal optimist as far as, you know, the minor leagues. And I follow that stuff closely. And they do have, you know, arms, intriguing arms. Obviously, there's no no guarantee. But with guys like Trevor Bauer and Di Sclafani coming up after this year, you you got Nick Lodolo somewhere soon. um, And then uh, Hunter Green, which... Hunter Green, I mean... We all can't wait for that, right? Absolutely. Like, I just have dreams of Justin Verlander. Like, <laughs> that dude could be a lot of fun. Let's hope he gets here, sucks. I know, I know. Um, and then, you know, like, they've got some... I, I'm Honestly, one of the things I'm most excited about for, for the Red season this year is uh, Shogo Mania. Like, yeah. I'm excited to see what this dude can do. The uh, I'm following a lot of the projected seasons that have been happening since the... He's crushing it. He's killing it. He's hitting like 370. <laughs> yeah, if this was Stratomatic, he'd be uh, first ballot Hall of Famer, I think. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and that's a good little segue into... Uh, we talked about Burrow, but... Um, well, actually, before we do that, any, any predictions for the Reds? I think they're... I won't say they'll win the division, but I'll, I'll say they're a wild card team. All right, hold I on. So let's just 
let's let's talk about this for a minute. The the schedule is ten against all NL Central teams and four against AL Central teams. Yep. I don't know enough about any of those teams to make it predictable. <laughs> I love how you ask the oh, question to clarify, that. and then you go, I don't know. Well, I was going to clarify for you guys, what but you guys know? just, you what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, the thing is, I think the Reds are going to be really good this year, but the problem is, I feel like every year they go through a phase where, you know, they go through a five or six game losing streak, and you can't do that this year, and I think they're probably going to do that, so I'm going to say they're going to be in the race till the end, but they're not going to make the playoffs. I think it's tough to go what for. That record is. I'll say. I'll say they'll be thirty-three and twenty-seven. So, well, that's. I was just going to ask you that because the uh, the over under I saw was thirty-one and a half. Okay, I feel I'll good about going over. over that. Yeah, yeah I do I'll too. I'll take the I, over, but I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I like the over for sure. Um, yeah, I do too. And I think that, like you know, the the old cliche that momentum in baseball is tomorrow's starting pitcher. The Reds have a good staff. When you're going. Uh, assuming that we get last year's version of Castillo and last year's version of Sonny Gray and not last year's version of Trevor Bauer. Um, and if Trevor Bauer's your three, like, that's filthy. So I'll say they uh, they make the playoffs and I'll definitely take the over on the 31 and a half. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I hope you guys are right. I'm normally an optimist, but I've just been beaten into submission by the sports teams in this city for the last... 30 years. Oh, I I get that fully. Like, I have no expectation for them to win a a playoff series or anything, but I do just feel like uh, they'll find a way to at least get into the playoffs in this this weird year. The the most soul-crushing experience I think that I've ever had, though, was uh, when they went out and they won the first two games in San Francisco, and when they come back, I was at game three, and in the first inning, Phillips tries to go first to third on there's no outs and it's like dude just relax gets thrown out of third base they don't score a run Homer Bailey pitches an incredible game he pitched great like remember that game well yeah I came home from that game uh and I was living with Matt at the time and uh I came home from that game and I go series is over because you wasted Homer Bailey's performance then you had Leak going and then, um, yes, you had Latos in Game 5, but you had Matt Cain going for them in Game 5. Uh, so, we all know how that ended. Yeah. And didn't Latos also have to, like, uh, come in in emergency for Cueto yeah. in the series, too? So, like, he, so he pitched Game 1, yeah. The, yeah. Honestly, I will, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But the thing that I will never forgive Dusty Baker for is the fact that when Aroldis Chapman was throwing a stink about he wanted to be a relief pitcher and not a starter, and Dusty gave in to that, if that team had Chapman in the starting rotation, you don't have to throw Mike Leake, and it doesn't matter. They win that series. And I they, they were playing well enough that I think they go on and, and they might win the World Series. Like I truly believe they would have advanced further in the playoffs than uh, the NLCS. But. That series against the Cardinals would have been very, very tough. But obviously the Giants went on to win the whole thing, and they um, there was did they play Detroit that year? No, um, I forget who they played in the World Series, but um, I think they swept. So yeah. yeah, it was set up for sure for for a, a little run from the Red Legs if we could have got there. 
But hopefully we see back to the playoffs this year. That would be – I'd be ecstatic. I agree. We're, we're due for some uh, good results in this town. <laughs> uh, so we won't spend too long talking about the Bengals. We've already uh, – used up a bunch of Rick's time and we really enjoy Rick joining us for for the podcast but uh I'm interested to hear thoughts on the Bengals like what's a in your mind what's a ceiling and a floor for this team um because I think that as bad as they were last year um 0 and 8 in one score games certainly could have beat the Cardinals certainly could have beat I think that We've talked about this before, but uh, if Dalton starts a couple of the games that Finley starts, they probably win a couple of those games, and then they don't get the first pick, and they don't get Burrow. So I'm not in any way upset um, about that, but they were super competitive in those games, and Finley was not super great. Um, So with... The understatement of 2020. (laughs) with, With Jonah Williams joining the fold... Maybe an improved offensive line, and you know Burrow's walking into a team that's got a lot of weapons. Like they're not, they're not your typical two and fourteen team, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Plus, with an improved defense, all the money they spent, I don't know. I think there's again, I'm the eternal optimist. But uh, what are you, what are your guys' thoughts? I will agree with you that they're not your typical two and fourteen team. I do think they have more weapons. I mean, especially if you factor in like AJ Green. You know, I mean, like, A.J. Green just not playing last year, and if you get A.J. Green and he's willing to play and he's motivated and healthy, that is obviously a big difference, especially with a, a new young quarterback. That being said, you have a new young quarterback. As Last I checked, Bobby Hart is still theoretically going to be blocking for him if he doesn't get canceled for his uh, weird posts on social media. And, uh, I, I mean, like, there are, like, still concerns there. I mean, they were 2-14 and 14 for a reason last year. I think the ceiling for this team is 8-8, eight eight, personally. I think uh, a 500 season is about as well as they can do, especially with a first-year quarterback. Now, I think just about everyone in Bengaland would absolutely take an 8-8 eight eight season right now if you gave it to them. Um, my my more realistic guess is they win five or six games. Okay. I, I think it yeah I think it's going to be tough. The division this year should be really good. But the other thing that I would say – and I really wish Matt was on here so that we could start to get after it. But <laughs> my biggest issue with Zach Taylor last year is, yeah, you've got talent, but you're not putting the right talented players on the field. He's, he's He was so tied to that three wide, one tight, one back formation. And their wide receivers, they were down to like two wide receivers basically for half the year. So why don't we have Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard on the field together a lot? Like, figure it out. You're getting paid millions of dollars to coach this NFL team. You're supposed to be an offensive mind. Let's figure out how to get your best playmakers on the field. So hopefully they'll have better health this year, and that won't be an issue, and and they'll have the personnel that they can go three wide, one tight, one running back like he wants. But you're paying Giovanni Bernard $5 million a year. And I think he's still got gas in the tank, so let's get him on the field. When you look at the schedule, how many games do you feel good about saying, oh, yeah, I think the Bengals will win that game? Um, for me, I mean, I think the Redskins, that they'll beat the Redskins. I feel confident about that. I think they'll probably beat the Giants. Um, and then the Jaguars and Dolphins, I think, are definitely – 
kind of in that mix too. So I, I think there's three or four games I feel good about saying they'll win those games. And then after that, I think a lot of them I'm going to say they're going to lose and a couple are toss-ups probably. So yeah, I think four to six feels pretty good for me in terms of a realistic number. I, I would say like along your lines, I think that I could see nine and seven. Um, again, because if you get improvement, like, like I'm going back to that zero and eight stat against uh, or in one run or one run games in uh, one score games, um, they if you improve the defense, which I think they have tremendously, we still have to figure out a lot about the linebackers and hopefully the rookies can play right away and and make an impact and hopefully Jermaine Pratt is as good as he was playing at the end of last year and is takes it another level but um i think that with the weapons and then like burrow the best part about like like people talk about how the nba loves the unknown i think i love the unknown too because right now we can we can literally dream that the Bengals might have in two or three years the best quarterback in the nfl maybe second maybe top five whatever because patrick mahomes does exist and uh you know, there's a lot of good young quarterbacks with uh, Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray and others, but uh, but legitimately we have that thought. And as I made clear on our last podcast, um, I didn't think we ever had that thought when Andy Dalton was a starting quarterback. So I don't know. I'm looking at the schedule right now, Sox, and I see eight gear. At least in my mind, pretty much guaranteed losses. At Eagles, Titans at home, at Steelers. Uh, at Cowboys Eagles, at home. you and Matt both said you would start Andy Dalton over Car- Carson Wentz. So how are you going to tell me that at Eagles is a guarantee? Carson Wentz will be playing. Hold on. Carson Wentz will be playing on September 27th. If that game was November 27th, yeah, he's not <laughs> fucking playing and the Bengals win the game. But it's September. He's going to be playing at that point. <laughs> Our last podcast, Rick, we uh, we broke down the every single team starting quarter, presumed starting quarterback, and said if Andy Dalton, we think Andy Dalton would start for that team. Um, How many teams were there? So I had Andy starting for nine teams. Whoa! Uh, Brian had Andy starting 12. for thir- twelve or thirteen teams. Twelve. 12. Twelve. I, did you guys miss the free agency market for Andy Dalton? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, oh, hold on. It gets better. For him. Hey, and Matt, that's not here. We're doing a drunk sports podcast. And Matt, that's not here, had Andy Dalton starting for 18 NFL teams. <laughs> Just to be clear, he was drunk on this podcast. <laughs> Is that the part where he told you to turn it off? <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying at this point. So, uh, and, and Carson Wentz was one of the guys that they took, both of them took, and I was flabbergasted by that. Um, because, okay, but to be clear, the topic was if you have to pick a quarterback to win a Super Bowl to get you through the whole season, and we both said Carson Wentz is glass and he's not going to last more than four or five games. That was our reasoning. That's actually not terrible reasoning. That's like decent logic. Which is why Andy Dalton should be Carson Wentz's backup. I'm not arguing with that. (laughs) I'm actually usually an Andy Dalton apologist until I heard on this podcast that someone thinks he (laughs) would like him to start. (laughs) That's that's a wild statement. That's that's how I opened the podcast. I said, um, 
I said, this is not an Andy Dalton bashing thing because I think Andy Dalton was a good quarterback, but I think that Andy Dalton was super average. Yeah, he's super limited. Yeah. There's just definitely a very low ceiling there. And uh, Once again, the unfortunate thing about him and and just Cincinnati sports in general is the one year that he's having a great year, then he throws a freak interception on the goal line, breaks his thumb, and then we're done. You know what, Andy? Just sit that one out. We don't need you to make that tackle. <laughs> right. Let him run it back. Like, who cares? Exactly. But, the, yeah, that's the funny part about the irony of that situation, too, though, is that he threw the interception. It wasn't like he got hurt without throwing a pick. Can we think about And I don't even know why we're rehashing this. This is probably something <laughs> we shouldn't be doing right now. But can we just think about for the second that that kid grew up in Texas. You know he saw Friday Night Lights. He knows what happens to QB1 when you go and try to make a tackle after an interception. Like, he should have had that ingrained. In I mean, uh, that's a perfect, perfect That's a really good statement. point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You're telling me Andy Dalton grew up watching the Permian Panthers? I'm not buying that. <laughs> All right. Well, um, actually, if you if you do have a little bit of time, Rick. Oh, yeah. Um, you can help us settle settle a score here which I'm bitter about um the last podcast taken from you and uh Shannon and um Andy Mack Andy Mack uh we did a draft and we did a, a Xavier draft from the Fad Mata era going forward okay um, you have to list the teams off for me yes Okay, all right, I'm getting a pen and paper ready so I can write it down because I won't be able to do this in my head. I love your dedication. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, Team A, Trayvon Blewett. Go ahead. Crawford. Okay. Sumner. Stanley Burrell. Matt Stainbrook. Drew Lavender. And they're coached by Chris Mack. Okay. I like that you picked coaches. <laughs> uh, team B, David West, Justin Dolman, Najee Marshall, Lionel Chalmers, Samaje, Justin Cage, Thad Mata is the coach. Okay. And then Team C, Jason Love. Derek Brown, Romaine Sato, JP Makura, Two Holloway, SF Terps, <laughs> and uh, Sean Miller is the, the coach. Alright, uh, TMC lost, I know that. Wow. <laughs> I love this. I love it. <laughs> All um, right, that was Bessler's team. Okay. Oh, well, that's good. He's not on the podcast, <laughs> so I don't have to defend that take right away uh, to his face. Um, yeah, that, that C's definitely the worst. A and B are close um, on my initial, as I was writing it down. Let me see here. The funny thing about A and that's like good. A, um, a is my team, but I think that the personnel matches the coach. 
Oh, yeah, without question. I mean, you've got the offensive-minded team. Chris Mack was the right coach to take with that. That was um, – you're not going to be – I mean, if you're putting Stain Train out there and Blewett together, you're not going to be guarding anybody. <laughs> oh, no. So, and uh, and, and Stainbrook right definitely leads that team in assists. Yeah, Sean would have lost his mind if he had to uh, coach those those no-defending um, <laughs> fellas, shall we just say. Um, I'm – Oh, man, that's tough. I think B is slightly more talented in terms of individuals. I think A fits together better as a team. I think I'd roll slightly A. <laughs> that's amazing. Box, this was this was planted. It was if this, not. If, if this was a best of three series, though, or like a best of five or best of seven, it'd be like it'd go down to the final game every time. I mean, like there would it definitely be split. I think that'd be a good game between those two teams. I love it because I put this I put this on the message board where you posted uh, your draft and uh, it was at the end of the comments like it was on page two or three so like that that thread had kind of died out a little bit and yeah. there were there were two votes one for team B and one for team C uh, someone voted for team C <laughs> yeah really so well, actually when we did this we said it was going to be team B versus C because we didn't think that Sox's team could literally stop anybody. Now they're going to score a lot, but we didn't think that they could stop anyone. Yeah, so it's interesting that uh, apparently Sox did draft the best team. In terms of in terms of high end talent, though, I mean Team C is just not even close to the other two. Yeah, like I mean I, I, I like, mean, I like I Sato a lot, but he was limited in terms of like Hall of Fame, almost leading scorer in school history type stars. Like he couldn't dribble at all. So that would be, you know, a little bit of a limitation. Um, and then two is obviously great. Like, two Holloway is a really good point guard. But, I mean, you saw what happened when he came against NBA athletes against that Marquette game. Like, and granted, it was one of the best defenders in NBA history, as it turns out. But still, a six seven NBA athlete gives him trouble. So, I mean, you stick Sumner, Burrell, those types of guys on him, you've got a pretty good chance of slowing him down, I think. And they just don't – I mean, like, Jason Love had a great career, but in terms of talent-wise – He's not close to those other guys at the top. And Derek Brown, again, just very limited, even though he's, he's a great college player. I feel great. Yeah, so the interesting thing about the, the Marquette game against Sue, at the time I was out of the country, and I remember, so I, I couldn't see the game, but I saw the box score, and I was like, what the hell is going on with Holloway? Like, he had an awful game. Yeah, what's going like, on with all Jimmy these? Jukos? Jimmy Butler, who the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he turned out to be pretty good, didn't he? Yeah. Who, who else was on that roster? Was uh, was Darius Johnson Odom on that team, too? Um, I don't remember. That, that Marquette team had multiple NBA guys, as I uh, remember. Well, I feel validated because I last week, or two weeks ago when we did that, I was... Uh, you were the laughing stock, but apparently we were too drunk to know what was going on. Well, no, I mean, well, like... I mean, look, you, when you got Blewett, Crawford, and Sumner all on the same team, you're going to have a chance against pretty much anybody, I think. I felt like Sumner if, if was undervalued. Yeah, I felt like oh, Sumner yeah. was undervalued because, uh, I mean, that's a guy that's in the NBA that's getting real run. Yeah, but we were talking about college, in their college careers. He was a great Not, college player, you, too. You, want, you wanted to play it as a developmental game, and it's like, no, we're talking about one, I one play. game in college. <laughs> in college. But I still think if you give me Edmund Sumner a non-injured at his peak sophomore year, like, 
I still think that's that's a really good player. Now, granted, he just never got the best of Edmund Sumner when you needed him because he was like always hurt at the wrong times. So I get where you're coming from. He didn't have a great career, but I do think he was still a really talented college player. Um, and he's a six six point guard. Like, yeah. I mean, like he can he can guard. He could shoot it. Like that's the difference between him and Samaje, which I I think Samaje is the most underrated player in Xavier history. Well, that's what I said. I was like, because I had Samaje on my team, and I was like, well, the thing about Samaje is, I there's there hasn't been anybody at Xavier that he could he could literally shake anybody, get past anybody. He could get in the lane at will, and yeah, Sumner was a great player, but he didn't have that capability. Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I really liked Samaje's game a lot. I thought he was just undervalued because of the time that he played at and the fact that the teams around him weren't good. But man, were those some transitional years for Xavier basketball, especially making the jumps to the East? Things could have been a whole lot worse if Samaje wasn't averaging like eighteen right. game or whatever it was as a sophomore. Now back to your comment earlier, DSR would have been there the same time as Samaje, right? Yeah, that's right. So uh, that I, think was, like, I think it was like I think it was like Miles Davis maybe that wouldn't have come or, or uh, I don't think it was Samaj. I think they still would have gotten Samaj, but maybe they would have gotten Miles Davis that year something like that. I think we would have made that trade. Yeah, I think most people probably would have done that. Oh yeah, so Darius Johnson Odom was on that team. So was Jay Crowder on that oh. uh, Marquette team. Wow. Yeah, that Marquette team was good. They were all JUCOs. <laughs> oh my lord. Yeah. And so, who was their coach at that time? Uh, that was when Buzz Williams was still there. Okay. Yeah. Do you think that fan base is fed up yet? Like, because they uh, had... Be. They had Crean, and then they had Williams, and they, they were really good under both of those coaches. And they, they what, they made the tournament once since Wojo's we'll been there? And they were a seven, and they lost, I think, is what it was. Uh, uh, I feel like they've made it more, because I think they made it... Um, at least a couple years ago in like 2017 and then they just made it the, they, they lost to uh, didn't they just lose to um, Murray State and John Morant yeah you're right yeah so I know there's at least two in there I'm not sure uh, after that how there might there might only be two appearances yeah looks like uh, looks like Woj has only made it twice yep according to Kempom so some talented teams, for sure. So, he gets talent. There's no doubt about that. But I would be tired of seeing talented guys come, the locker room implode midway through the year, things fall, and then you go nowhere with a really talented team. So, We've definitely been spoiled as, as Xavier fans as far as – and now, obviously, we're on a one and an asterisk year of not being in the tournament – because we don't know what would have happened to this year's team, but I have a feeling because of that DePaul loss, they probably were on the outside looking in. Um, but we'll never know. Um, but I think that they're absolutely headed in the right direction, and I think that Steele getting the guys, getting his guys, and the way that he wants to play, and um, as great as of an athlete and a player as as Najee Marshall is and was, uh, I think that the team overall might be a little bit better off um, just because of the turnovers and, um, you know, whatever. Um, I don't want to throw any shade at the guy because he was a great savior player, but uh, he's right. on he's on Chase's team. Yeah, well, I think the easiest way to say it is just that um, for a lot of different reasons, 
the last two years the team just didn't fit together cohesively in a way that was going to win college basketball games and um it was just a hard group to win with and that's you know whether that's personal reasons or the way they fit together on the court or all of the above which i think it's all of the above um they needed to make some changes and i think the staff is doing a good job of that uh the quick fixes that they did with grad transfers the past few years didn't work we'll see how nate johnson and brian griffin turn out um i think at the very least nate johnson has a chance to help him as a shooter and defender very minimally in the role Bryce Moore did, but I think he can be a little more than Bryce Moore was at least. Um, and and aside from that, I think you know the 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 last year's freshman class with this year's freshman class piled on top is really going to change the direction of of where they're headed. And um, I have a lot of faith in this year's twenty twenty class. I think the encouraging thing from a fan's perspective that you know is not in as in depth as you are, Rick, is that. In, in the past years, we've literally been relying on those grad transfers. If, if they don't pan out, they, they still have to play. We just don't have enough bodies. And this year, if, you know, Nate Johnson isn't going well or Brian Griffin isn't going well, it's like, well, then let's just throw the young guys in there and see what we've got. Yeah, I think that's uh, something the coaches, coaching staff is excited. They think those guys can help them, obviously. But at the same time, they know they have the future kind of uh, already in place. So. Um, it's more just complimentary pieces. If you can help us, great. If not, we've got our guys that we're rolling with, and we're really excited about them. Rick, I got to ask you one more thing. Uh, sure. Three more or three games into his freshman campaign, I predicted to our group that Zach Fremantle was a fifteen hundred point <laughs> scorer at Xavier. Should I feel good about this prediction? Because I think I put some money on it too. Oh man, what? I'm not good at the like the. Looking at the math, what's the all-time scoring list look like? Okay. Um, I think he scored about 300 points this year. Okay, so, yeah, Trayvon was – was uh, th- those guys were all at 2,000. Trayvon was the last 2,000. So, um, 1,500? I, I could see it. Yes. I could see – I think – if Zach, if he sticks around for four years, yeah, I mean, that's that, the big thing. You have to stay for four years, and in this in this climate and the way college basketball works, not a lot of not a lot of guys do that. But he is certainly one that would seem like a possibility because I don't see him leaving for the NBA. Right. That's assuming so, four so, years. I'm looking it up right now. I'm looking it up right now. He's got according to Xavier.com, he had 241 points last year. Oh, so that means if we play, what what do we play a year? Thirty one plus say two games in Big East plus two games in tournament, so thirty five games a year. That means he's got to score twelve points a game for the next three years. Just twelve? Twelve? Oh, easily. Never mind. I take it back. He will one thousand percent. Zero questions. Zero questions. Because <laughs> he'll average like fifteen as a junior, at least. Yes, I love it. Yeah. And that's assuming yeah, so he, he plays four years. Like, he could average like eight to ten this year, and he'd be fine. And he'll average twelve or more this year. I would imagine. The biggest upset of uh, of this podcast Xavier draft was that Sox didn't take Fremantle as his bench player. <laughs> so is this the order that they were actually drafted in? No. No. Okay. All right. I was just gonna say because there was I had some questions about that. <laughs> if that was the case. <laughs> no. 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 That's that's fair. Uh, so, okay. Jason Love in the so, first. Here's I'll tell you I'll tell you the order that they went, and then you can make fun of us. It went West, Blewett, Holloway, 
then Crawford, Sato, Dolman, Samaje, Sumner, JP, Najee, Chalmers, Derek Brown. Actually, no, this is all screwed up because Sox. So I had made a list before of like how I would rank them, and Sox and Bessler did not follow my ranking. So. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say I was gonna say that, that top like six. Really, once you get past the top six, you can. It's a lot of nitpicking, but I think there's yeah. a, a pretty defined like six guys that you got to have in. Hey, you know. I'll tell you what screwed me though is when we went into it. It was like because I had first pick and we were doing snakes, so it was like I had one and then six and seven. And what screwed me is the fact that Posey wasn't included. The the like ninety five the. Skip Prosser oh. era wasn't included because oh, you if got, those okay. guys would have been included. Then I got Posey on my team, and I'm in really good shape. Yeah, I, I missed that because we went back to the Prosser era. So you had Posey and Hawkins and uh, Lumpkin and and Darnell Darnell Williams, Williams, Lenny Brown, and yeah. And I think Bessler put some thought into this before he came on the podcast because he was like, "Let's just do it after Thad Mata got there." And I had my list all you know out through starting in 95 and then uh, once I got the sixth pick it was like well shit there were five clear top players and now I'm picking six and I'm not sure who to go with so and he also not only did he do that but he also volunteered for picks three and four but but according to Rick his team was the worst so yeah he really didn't win yeah so what was his what was his third and fourth pick do you know was it so, uh, Brown? Was it Sato and Brown or Sato and two? Holloway two and and Sato. Sato and two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, those are those aren't unreasonable picks. I agree. I mean, two yeah, then like Sox, you picked. I don't. I think you picked Blewett second and Crawford fifth, or maybe it was. Yeah. Blewett, no, I took I Trey remember. second and then Crawford. Yeah. To me, there's just no way. I mean, I think people can make the argument for Sato. That's understandable. Um, there's no way I'm getting to two before I'm getting Blewett and West and Crawford out of the way um, and Sato out of the way. So, I mean, you got to have four or five guys before you get to two, in my opinion. Love it. <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Oh, it was a great exercise. We had a lot of fun doing that at uh, Dana's. So, I wish I, um, I wish there was video of the Chug contest. No, you, no, you don't. It was an embarrassment. It really was. <laughs> Well, I think so how, that. Go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just going to ask, how long was the chug off? Did it I last mean, like I, five I, minutes or a minute? Yeah. Or oh, I mean, I puking I, in between. No, I probably uh, it took me probably a minute almost to, and I won by two and a half minutes. I mean, it was like, <laughs> like I, I, I had to bring it down at least once to finish. And there were these like construction worker type guys to, at the bar eating that were so disgusted with our efforts. Brandon was just cracking up at the whole situation, and Andy Mack ordered Yingling for some reason. Yeah, two sips and was just like, "All right, I'm done. I'm going to take this out to lunch with me." So I was like, "All right, well, I don't think that's not a good selection for for chugging." No, I agree. it really isn't. You don't want to chug an amber. Yeah. Um, well, before we. Uh before we get off here, I do want to say, which I, I commented on this on the on the mess or on the message board for Musketeer Report, but uh, one of my favorite things of all time that I will never not laugh at is oh summertime short pants. Like it's never <laughs> it's never not funny. Like and your reaction, 
I picture you. You got to tell me. I picture you because like you you lost a little volume. Like were you on the floor? Incredulous. <laughs> I was not on the floor, but as, I mean, as passionate as I could possibly be. That scream or squeal or whatever that I let out when I responded to him was so genuine. I, I couldn't believe he said it. I brought it up probably three or four times on that podcast again after it happened. Um, yeah, what a moment. And, and the, the crazy thing is, I mean, there's not that many people who listen to that podcast. Um, well, I got, the well, amount of people, we got you there on not, not too many people say, that listen to, to it. Weekly, so. <laughs> the amount of people that brought that up, like, People would say it in public occasionally, like Skinny had someone say it to him, I had someone say it to me, and all types of like tweets and stuff. And I'm like, if all these people know about this little bit, how do we not have like at least 1,500 listeners? You know, like, this is crazy. <laughs> because it left an indelible mark on people's minds because it was a great moment in podcast history. It really must have. Sort of like uh, Skinny's um, White Castle story, which I don't know if you ever heard that, but he gives a great White Castle advice on how to clear yourself out if you're oh, yeah. backed up. And uh, <laughs> my guy, Dan, that we do the Xavier podcast with, just like, he won't let that go. He brings it up to me once a week, probably. So uh, I had Skinny retell that story on a podcast recently. Oh, yeah, I heard that. Oh, that was uh, that was graphic. Uh, yeah, it gets that way. <laughs> I lo- Skinny's the best, man. You never know what's going to come out of his mouth. He is. I feel like he's a guy that would be a lot of fun to drink with. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Without a doubt. He's probably does he go to, like top does he go to any Xavier games? Uh, you could convince him to go to them. Oh. I mean, he doesn't like do it for work, so he just hangs out at him if he does. Well, I mean, I'm not sure if you can see the cl- – does he drink bourbon? Oh, yeah. Skinny drinks just well, I'm not sure if you can see the collection behind socks, but like once we get back into podcasting in person, he's got quite the collection. Well, uh, do, we'll do a skinny podcast crossover with you guys. Bring us on and we'll oh. do a mix the podcast together. Oh, that'd like be that. that'd and be done. a bourbon tasting while we go. I'm I'm in. Sounds good. And I got the product. Well, again, we thank you for uh, for gracing us and bringing your knowledge of Xavier Hoops, Reds baseball, Bengals football, and just general, overall, likable guy uh, to our little podcast. Well, at least there's two of you out there who think that, and I appreciate you saying it. Uh, your check <laughs> is in the mail. But seriously, I appreciate you having me on. It was a great time. We'll, we'll come back again if you if you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll definitely we, – we get into all kinds of uh, – I mean, the topics are usually the same, but – as you know, the the landscape changes a little bit. Um, yeah, anytime, maybe during basketball season when there's actual uh, games to talk about, we can do it. Absolutely, and uh, once we're able to get back together, my I'm on like extreme lockdown because my wife's pregnant and about we're about a month away, so we're. Oh, congrats on the coitus! Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, First time. <laughs> okay. Um, what I've been told, anyway. That's but. Uh, once we're able to get back out there, maybe we'll we'll be able to buy you a beer or something. Absolutely, I'd love yeah. that. Sounds good, guys. All right. Well, this has been Sports Intoxication, and if Matt were here, he'd say, "End the podcast." End the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll catch you next time.